All right. Welcome to what I call Jesus TV. I'm always on Jesus TV. Uh, Jesus has cameras rolling. Apparently, angels are not limited to writing with styluses up in heaven. Jesus says, there's make it, there's a record. and we'll be, I think we'll be able to watch it. That's not known, but I'm pretty sure we'll be able to relive our experiences because Jesus says, you know what? We have high technology up here in heaven. Uh, and so, you know how you guys have movies? We have more immersive movies. So that's what I think he's telling me. Um, and so I realized, oh, camera's always, always on. And then I started thinking of Jesus as a movie maker, like you make movies uh, and we like movies because that's where we're as a society, less and less people are reading. Uh, there's you know, a certain percentage of the population, but it's movie time. Our minds like movies because when we go to sleep at night, guess what? We don't read books. I, I've never heard anybody say, you know what I like? My mind likes to do so bad. I like to just sit and read. I, I spend the whole night reading. No, instead, it's like they're watching movies. Oh, she does. I knew that she was a reader. I didn't know that that had gotten into your subconscious. All right. So hallelujah. You you literally read while you're dreaming. I want to know more about that. Go ahead. Oh, I was just saying I read like at night. I don't watch movies. That's all oh, I was saying. No, um, I'm, I'm saying when that. you sleep. What I'm, I'm oh, no, when about, I sleep. Do you watch like you're watching movie? a movie. Yeah, I got yes. you now. See, so if you want to get down to what is fundamental um, about humans, you have to, um, the, the percentage of who we are is such a small percentage. If you had a pie, you can go take a scoop of, you know, with a, with a spoon, you say, this is the Greg pie. And you'd be looking at the conscious, sentient part of Greg. You say, what's the rest of the pie? The non-sentient, you'd say, that's my spirit. I don't know what it's doing. Maybe I hope it's talking to God because heaven knows I need some help. But that, that unconscious, that spirit that you are is very intelligent um, and it communicates. Um, and so scientists kind of understand that. They don't call it that. They don't believe in spirits, a lot of them. At least they don't come from a framework. They say, well, if we can't measure it and we can't put it in the box, so they're not very good believers, um, all, um, professionally, let's just say that. Um, within their profession, they have to act like um, there's not a God. I don't know if they have to, but that's kind of what they do. So that pie, and you got your little scoop, you think, okay, so I'm a reader. During the day, here's what I do. Well, you're, you're looking at the scoop, okay? So as a scientist, I'd say, what do you think that whole pie's doing? Is it reading? Well, I don't know. <laughs> well, we get a little window into what the unconscious and it's a now we see through a glass darkly. So when you dream, you're actually seeing parts of something you don't have high access to. Um, and it starts doing whatever apparently it wants to do um, in, with the interaction with the uh, with the flesh that is you. And I just happen to notice mine's not reading books. Mine's doing strange things like why am i at church without my clothes whoa this is concerning um and i'm not reading about this i'm watching it and here's the thing i think it's telling me what it's going to be like in heaven it feels like in this dream jesus that i'm actually doing this which is kind of disturbing it's like i'm in a movie and i wouldn't be making this movie because it's kind of uncomfortable 
but somebody inside me, which is me, uh, apparently, or part of me, is trying to resolve some issues um, or something, I would guess. I mean, who knows? Maybe he's just trying to mess with me. Um, whatever me is, can pay attention, because there's part of us that can pay attention to the movie for until we cross that veil. And like, oh, what was that dream about? I'm going to tell you about this dream. And it starts fading away. And they turn it off. Oh, okay. Well, that was a really good dream. And apparently you can get good at crossing that veil if you start writing down your dreams. My wife's been doing that. Um, so it, what was my intention there? Oh, yes. <laughs> I was touting the likelihood that God is a movie maker, right? That you're going to say, oh, I, I want to see parts of my life. And you're expecting, you know, based on ancient technologies they were using when they received this revelation, we kind of got the idea that there's these books in heaven. You think, oh, why did you guys make a movie? Why did, did you guys have cell phones up there? They're like, Greg, don't worry about it. Okay, you get to watch a movie. Everybody likes movies. Um, and so I'm saying every, every book reader that I've ever known, guess what they like? They like movies. But here's the thing. <laughs> That's what books do. They create a movie inside your head. So reading is only another means of creating a movie. And th then the book readers go, oh, yeah, <laughs> it's not the reading I like. It's the movie that is created when I read. And so humans are kind of complex creatures. So what I'm speaking of um, I don't know much about. It's like I'm in kindergarten and I'm saying, here's what I notice because it's so complex, like the pie. But I think most of us, well, <laughs> that's where you go science. They go, <clears throat> how big a spoon is that? Because Greg, you're acting like that spoon. Is that a regular size spoon? No, you need to get a little baby spoon. That's your sentient part. They would take a little baby spoon. I'd say, that's the, I'm that whole thing. And that little baby spoon is how, how do we even get along? Oh my goodness. And, but they would be right because our bodies are taking, there's so much communication going on inside of our bodies, parts of our bodies talking with other bodies. That's us. That's part of us talking to parts of our bodies. And, and they didn't, we didn't even give it permission. We didn't say, hand, you can talk with the brain now. No, we're, that'd be just too much complex stuff. And so our body's full of tremendous amounts of communication and thankfully, <laughs> I'd say thankfully, it just takes care of itself. Um, but it is us. Uh, and it is aware in its own way. But here, I'll tie it all together. It is a parable. Our bodies are, are that other piece of the pie is a parable of the going ons in heaven. That there's a whole lot going on around you. You don't know about it. Like, well, then it won't affect me but it can uh if you believe in it uh and it can even if you don't believe in it and so that's the other world and some people just say well i'm just going to take this baby spoon and just focus on that <laughs> i can't blame them it's like the other's pretty complex and i don't even know what's going on but some people just get really curious and i'm one of those what's what's this rest of the pie about and how does it express itself and i'll start making notes Oh, I do this. I do that. Oh, there was, 
what are the chances that this happens? So you start paying attention to serendipities, or some people call them synchronicities, and some people call them miracles of God. You know, they want to be highfalutin. Oh, we, we, we just call them synchronicities. Then it's scientific. Others go, it's a miracle. What? That you showed up at this time? No, things like that happen. <laughs> and so you have the unbelievers who are just like, I don't want to go there where the other piece of the pie I just want to stay and have my little spoon my baby spoon and just focus on this it's hard enough okay enough of that um that was movies and my supposition that god is making movies oh and we're on jesus tv got out of the rabbit hole how this all start about movies well you're watching a movie right now and I understand. So it's a parable of Jesus TV. And so people think, oh, so when Greg goes Facebook Live, he says Jesus TV. So he's imagining that there's a television station uh, using the Facebook thing. No, if you want to go further, I'm imagining we are all on and they're recording us. Who is God? Um, and, and like, what evidence do you have? I don't know. Go to the scriptures and it says there's a record in heaven and the books were open, blah, 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 the book of life. Oh, okay. I kind of see where you're going. And then I've been building this understanding. Well, <laughs> do you guys only have styluses and, and pencils and erasers up there for your angels? No, Greg. Um, we're way advanced, way more advanced than you guys. Oh, well, then you might have like the holodeck where I could go, hey, I want to relive that thing. <laughs> A lot of them like, yeah, I don't want to plug back into that one. But maybe you will later, trillion years later say, okay, I'm ready to do this make it so it doesn't hurt as much yeah okay so that's my theorizing but i don't know um so all that stuff everything i don't know anything here's the thing jonathan and, and emily might know stuff i don't i think jesus said just tell everybody you don't know anything so i can't stand up at church and say i know beyond a shadow of a doubt i'm lying if i say i know beyond a shadow of a doubt if i even say i know stuff there's very little i know but I believe, oh, you open up to belief. I, there's a lot of stuff I believe. Would you like to hear my beliefs? No, we want stuff you know. Oh, then I might as well be quiet. Do you guys know anything, Jonathan or Emily? I'm going to oh, say that I... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jonathan. You go ahead. I was saying I'll let you go first. That's a good question. Like, do you mean like, like I know, like a testimony kind of thing? Is that what you're saying? I don't even know what it means to, to know, to tell you the truth. I only know what it means to believe. So like imagine uh, that Jesus is here. Um, you know, I imagine Jesus yeah. is in the mess. And I'm like, oh, when I use the word imagine, I mean believe. And like, what about, do you know he's here? No, I don't think so. I don't. And, and I, maybe I don't even know what it means to know. But when somebody stands up at the pulpit and says, I know beyond the shadow of doubt, I'm like, I don't. I got lots of doubt. <laughs> you know? And so yeah. um, whatever that is that you're doing, if they're literal, because I'm kind of a literalist. No, no, I don't think I know. But it's okay. I'll die for my belief. Like, would you die for your belief in Jesus? Oh, yeah. Would you die for your belief in UFOs? No, no, no. I still <laughs> believe in UFOs. But it's kind of like a light belief, like belief light. But I've gone deep into Jesus' belief, like, oh, yeah, I'll die for that. Would you die for your belief in the goodness of humanity? Yes. Yeah, because I, I strongly believe we're good. So there's a variation of beliefs, but great. What do you know? Uh, 
I don't even know if I know anything. Um, and so I'm asking Emily and Jonathan, they seem to know stuff, but maybe they don't. And so maybe you're on the wrong channel. You need to go, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt. Those people may be able to help you better. I don't know. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, as far as like, I know, um, I haven't really, do I know? You know, I used to think that I knew a lot of things. I'll say that. <laughs> I used to think that I knew. Um, over the last five years since I've, I mean, I've always been in a mess, but since I realized I was in a mess, um, the less I know, I would say. So things that I, there's things I believe strongly. Um, like I know that when I take the time to talk to Jesus and to write down, like I always use my, my journal um, and I imagine what Jesus is saying to me. I know when I do that, I do feel wisdom. I feel love. I feel response. I know that it helps me cope with things. Um, I know that as I try to find Jesus, I do find those miracles, but I also know that if I don't take that time, that it's easy to lose. So I know that as well. Um, and so there's so many things I, it, it's so, you know, can I know? Like, that's one of those questions of like, is there absolute truth to me? And again, I used to think there was, and now I think I, we've talked about this before, but now I feel like truth is a changing thing. Not necessarily what is true, but my understanding and understand, like knowing what's true or knowing like, like there's like a, I'm trying to give a, this is kind of a really random example, but it reminds me of this. <laughs> so um, one of my friends, when she got to college, uh, she was like, did you know chicken of the sea is not chicken? She's <laughs> 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 like, my parents always, we were like 20. She's like, my parents told me it was chicken or like this. This is a truth that I learned. I think it's a truth. I don't even know that I learned on Friday. I always grew up hearing that if a kid pulled a fire alarm, that there was ink in there that would spray their hands. Have you guys ever heard this? I think I have. Ever... Yeah. I thought that was a real thing. That's it's not a real thing. Like that's like something somebody made up sometimes. So what I'm saying is you have these things that you think are true. Or like when I was a kid, I can't remember exactly, but there's history things I would learn in school. And then when I got to college and you dive deeper into the history, you're like, oh, so the Constitution wasn't just like done and that was it. Everybody accepted it. Like there were like these Federalist Papers and people had to like convince people to this. And so like what I mean is there's like a surface level of truth or like an inkling of the truth. And then I think that you get deeper and deeper. And I feel like now, just like how we've talked in the past, but like, you know, we're like, oh, there's there's atoms. That's the smallest thing there is for years and years. Oh, what? There's something else and it's smaller. So what I mean is I think there's just levels of truth. How about that? There's levels of truth. Um, so what do I know? Um, I mean, I know that Jesus is real and that he lives and that's pretty much the only thing that I think I know that I think I know. See, I, I can't even like give that like a good, like, like a solid, like, yeah. no. Yeah. And I know that when I, like I said, I know that when I paint, it makes me feel better. I know that, you know, you can just, I can only look at the evidence that I see in my own life. But I also know that there's a lot of people that are, that are happy um, that don't have Jesus. And that's a weird thought to me, but I feel like everyone, you have to have a hope or a belief in something. You have to, I think, to find happiness. You know, I, I don't know. That's kind of where, where my knowledge is. I don't know if that's what you're looking for or not, but that's kind of where mine is. I'd like to hear what Jonathan has to say though. Wow. So um, 
Yeah, this is probably one of my favorite topics. So if I had my um if I had my my laptop case here, I would pull out a, a little story. I made some copies of it just in the last week or so. It's called um the name of it is Over Over Um A Cosmic Apocalypse. And um I wrote it um probably three or four years ago. Um and um it's only about 2500 words long and it's it would if you had to put it into a genre you'd probably have to say it was like sci-fi um it's a it's about a guy who um he's standing on a hill maybe a mountain beside the city where he lives and the city where he lives is somewhere out in the cosmos on some distant planet where he's stationed doing something who knows what and before him is a spirit and the spirit is dressed in long white kind of fringy robes that are blowing in the wind and the spirit says to him it's over and he says, well, what do you mean it's over? And the spirit says again, it's over. And um, I wrote this story um, out of an emotion that was within me. And as I was trying to find a way to express what I was feeling, I was reminded of a little tiny revelation I had years before and i had been standing on a hill looking out over the utah valley strangely and i heard clearly it's over and i've wondered for years what that meant when the spirit said to me it's over and um what this story was about i the reason that that it's this the feeling that sparked all of this was listening to people who are so sure of what they believe absolutely sure and they are kind of um i don't know if you guys have noticed it but there's a darkness about that spirit when people are almost you could almost say too sure of themselves and they're going out conquering. They're going out to convince the world that, and their opponents, that their opponents are wrong and that they are right. And there's a spirit in which you don't even want the truth anymore. What you really want is to be right and to be able to prove beyond doubt that you are right and the message of this story was that there is something coming right now that is going to put an end to all of that there is something there's a way in which it's over it's like and something more beautiful is coming um, one of the phrases in the story was, um, 
Oh, I can't remember now. You can get it on my website. If you go to the website and you go to uh, thetracklesspath.com and then you click on books, et cetera. And then I think there's a link that says free content or you'll have to search around a little bit. I think it's under books, et cetera, but it's, it's on there and you can download the PDF. Um, it's called Over a Cosmic Apocalypse. And the long story short with all of it is that it's like, um, there is a strange paradox within the truth. And the paradox is that even when you know, even when you're absolutely sure of something, if you're going to grow in truth, you have to have that knowledge, what you think is that knowledge or that belief constantly on the altar constantly willing to have God basically just smash what you think you know and rebuild it more full, more clear, more bright, more greater understanding. And if you don't do that, if you, if you are insistent that you've got it all and that you've got it all pinned down, well, then there is a darkness coming, a true darkness. And it's the darkness that came to uh, the the third servant in the the. Um, Emily, did you want to interject? No. Okay. All right. So um, there's a there's a there's a darkness that comes in. It's the darkness that came for the third servant in the parable of the of the um, the oh what do they call that the parable of the, the parable of the talents. So there were a couple of servants who they had gold and they invested it and they got more, which meant they had to risk. So they had to take this gold, this thing that they, let's call the gold like the thing that you believe. Wouldn't we say that's the way our lives are? We believe things and it's like it's treasure to us. It's like if you're a member of the LDS church, well, it's like there's certain truths that you've been given that you just treasure. It's like gold. But it's like, you know, or let's say that you're a, a, an evangelical Christian or you're something else. It's like, you know, it's like there's this strange paradox wherein it's like, if I want more gold, I've got to take the gold, the truth that I think I have, and I got to lay it on the altar, like risk it, risk being wrong. And then you have to um, be willing to like, you know, risk that and, and risk that to risk it not coming back. And then you end up getting more. But then there's the third servant and he won't risk. He won't risk being wrong. So, and he ends up, the, the strange paradox is that in the end, like the master says, take this servant and throw him into outer darkness. Well, guess what you get when you're, sure that you're wrong when you're sure that you're right you think i've got all the light here and you end up where in darkness um because he said i'm going to bury this away you know i'm not going to try to get more truth more understanding so it's this strange paradox i took a long time saying it basically like like okay here's what i believe here's what i know and um, you have to, to, in order to gain a little bit more, you have to be in that state of like, you know what? I'm sure of this, but I'm going to listen to you, to this other person. I'm going to read this new book with this idea that, that 
that I may, I'm going to listen to this book with the idea that I may be wrong. And then you can hear something that may perk up your ears and bring you to, to a clearer knowledge of the truth. And I do have the feeling that like eventually we'll come to something that's like the whole truth. But I don't know if it'll happen in this life because we got two eyes, one brain, etc. So it's like, but we just have to keep being open, not casting out what we know. It's not like we listen. You have to. Be, you don't have to be so open that you're, you know, so open-minded that your brain falls out. But, but um, uh, I think I'm I'm going along with what you guys said. It's like it's it's this beautiful thing of like, of like, um, yeah, I think I know, but I. You know, someone could convince me, but they would have to, they would have to have the spirit of God. They would have to be able to show me, you know, certain things that would help me to understand. And, um, you know, and I'm going to be open that the spirit could show me something more. So I've taken too long to say it all, but I'm going to pass that on and let you guys comment on your thoughts. Emily, do you have anything? I have some thoughts, but do you have anything first? Yeah, I do have some thoughts. Uh, first off, I never thought about comparing it to like the talents before, the parable of the talents of having that truth. You have to be willing to kind of experiment with it, I guess. And, you know, you can't just hide and say, this is true. I'm not open to anything else. Um, one of the things that actually reminded me of is um, I served a, an LDS mission in the South. And, uh, and one of the things that I kind of learned to see with people is like you could see who was open and who wasn't. And so, like, if people, like, if you talk to someone, like, there's no, there's no point, in, I learned there's, like, no point in arguing anything. Like, you know, you could get into finer points of gospel doctrine and argue, you know, people would want to do that kind of stuff. But there's really no point of it, because, like, um, like Jonathan was saying, if some, if you're not open, you're not going to get any more. Um, I've seen the same thing as a teacher, even with students, like, in art and stuff. Like, I had a, I had a college student once who was pretty good. But did they get better in my class? No, they didn't, because they already thought that they knew anything, everything. And so if they already thought that they knew everything, they couldn't learn anymore. There was no way until they were willing to be like, yeah, I don't know how to do this. Um, then there was no there was no point. Right. Um, it also has to do with one of my favorite. I don't know if I've talked about it on here, but one of my favorite education uh, quotes. And I, and I should remember who it's by, but I can't at the moment. But you can't force people to learn is essentially what it is. There's no way to coerce learning. You can't force it. It just has to happen. Somebody has to be open. So like you can't have a student in a room and be like, I'm going to force you to learn and you're going to learn all of this. It doesn't work. You could try to set up different things. You can try to set up like negative consequences, like, oh, it's going to be your grade or this. I feel like that is the lowest level of learning. If you don't do this, this is going to happen. You know, there's like this punishment and and I think, you know, when you think about religious things that way, it's the, again, you have to be open. You know, you have to be open out of like an open curiosity versus like a fear. And so, um, so for me, when I was starting to become, I used to be very close-minded. Um, I think until a lot of the stuff with my husband in like 2015, 2016, I was very, very close-minded. This is the only way there is. This is what there is. This is X, Y, Z. This is, I know everything. And this is how everything is. And then when my husband, um, when he came out and said like, oh, like, I don't believe at all in this anymore. And I was like, in my head, I'm like, what's the point of being married in a temple? If like, I thought this was a marriage forever. What's the point of working on something that's not, maybe not forever. And then I started having these questions. And at first I thought they were bad. 
But in hindsight, I think it's really good. <laughs> I think it's really good to question and ask and to explore answers because, I mean, that's how um, anyone learns. People like Joseph Smith or anyone, you don't learn unless you ask the question, unless you're willing to risk and say, I don't know. And it was like, even after that with my husband, it took me probably three or four years to come to the point when I read the scriptures where I started looking at them through the lens of what if what I've been taught, this one way to look at the scriptures is not the only way to look at the scriptures. You know, what if, because I always grew up with this and that's again, kind of the Jesus and the mess thing. You know, you come up with this idea of, well, Jesus is this certain way. He has a beard. He wears a white robe. It's long. It goes all the way to his wrist. Um, he has this long hair. Um, he... Everywhere he went, people just loved him and he did all these miracles, you know, and so I had like this idea in my head and until I was willing um, to read the scriptures and like actually look at like the times, like you don't get very much of a glimpse, but you're like, wait, these Pharisees, they're all part of the same religion, essentially, and this is all happening within one religion and Jesus getting killed, it was by his own religion. Like, this wasn't like an outside group coming in and being like, we don't understand. And so once you start to see that, and I think The Chosen does a really good job showing that. Um, but even before The Chosen, I had to, like, kind of, like, start to come to this idea of, like, what if everything I've been told, not everything, well, I think you do have to kind of question everything, honestly. I think if you don't question it, you don't build, like, a stronger foundation, a stronger thing to say, like, I question this, explore this, and this is where I'm at. Not saying this is forever, it's just saying this is my current truth. Um, I don't know. So those are kind of my thoughts of just, yeah, you, I think, I really think questioning, if you look, actually, I love this too. If you look at, um, one of the things I love about the scriptures, like any of the books of scripture is a lot of it comes as a question and an answer. It's always starts with a question, especially, I think you see that on some of the more, the more recent, um, scriptures. It's always a question. It's someone saying, so I was reading this in the scriptures and I don't get this right? Or it's someone saying, what about this whole baptism thing? What does that mean? Or someone saying, little kids, what happens when they, when they die and they're little and they're not baptized? What happens to people that are baptized? Or what about, so it's all questions. What about all the people on the earth that have never even heard of Jesus? There's like billions and billions of people over the years that have never even heard about Jesus. And so I think when you start asking those questions, I think, I guess, is where you start finding answers. There we go. That's my thing. You guys can keep talking. Good. I like it. Uh, good thoughts. Um, I was just smiling, um, thinking about how much uh, there's oftentimes uh, within ourselves, kind of like multiple people, there's different theories for how you think about that. The, the family theory, theory, you got these multiple selves, a daddy in there, a rebellious teen, so forth. That's not something I've really studied well, but but I get it <clears throat> that we have inside of us <clears throat> competing, um, and so I've I I've got inside me a very strong like let's cut the crap. Okay, what what is solid? What can we believe? I want to hold fast to that. Paul said, "Believe all things, hold fast to that which is good." All right, so I want to know, and and so. Jesus had to start breaking me of that um, in a certain respect, but not in another, because my wife will tell you, man, you are stubborn. That's correct. That's like, man, 
he's like some Pharisee, holding fast, man. This is this is my truth. But that's a really important thing to understand. I'm not saying it's your truth. So the nuance Jesus brings, like, is based on Article Faith 11. We claim, or we could say Greg claims, the privilege. Oh, it's a privilege to worship Almighty God according to the dictates of his own conscience. Oh, that sounds dangerous. So he's just going to, whatever his conscience is going to do, he's going to do that? Yep, he claims that privilege. And allow... Uh, here comes the important part, people. You don't have to get all freaky. Allow the same privilege. My wife can believe what her conscience wants. Jonathan can believe what he wants. Emily can believe, oh, how are we all going to get together, Baram? You, we're, we're humans. We're like sheep. We want to all be on the same page. Can we at least fake like we're on the same page once a week, get together? And don't ask questions like, oh, if there's angels, are they here right now? And where are they? Are they floating? Is the... Is the temple um, um, full of ghosts? Is it like a house that somebody should, if they were interested in showing ghosts, that it would be like the full, most full ghost? Great, quit asking such questions. That's unseemly. Um, it's not like a ghost house. Well, you said there's dead people there. It's called baptism for the dead. My wife says, quit calling them dead people. They're departed. I'm saying, but the language the LDS use is, baptisms for the dead i'm just calling them dead people if they're not people then you know dead spirits but that doesn't sound right and of course you say greg's messing with the language and then the, how are we going to get on the same page because greg's over there teaching sunday school oh i'm gonna tell you a ghost story and and it's gonna don't get freaked out but there's ghosts right in here one's a holy ghost and there's other ghosts um, and they're just like, shutty, shutty, shut, shut down, shut down, shut down. Okay, that's not what we do. I'd like, what, you don't believe that there's other spirits? No. And they would struggle because they would finally, I would be brought into a church court and they'd say, they'd start introducing me to a term that you can't even find in the scriptures or anywhere. And it's called the order of the church. And they, they would reference um doctrine and covenants there must be order and god likes order <laughs> and they start trying to build this case that they're not trying to build for anybody else but me in the church court saying greg in using your sociological language there are norms okay any size society has a norm and so when greg you go on i-15 if everybody's going 82 it's okay to well that's breaking the law if I asked the policeman, how fast can I go? Would he say, and if I said, can I go, when it says 80, can I go 82? We were asking the wrong guy, because guess what he's got to say? That cop's driving 82, but he's going to say, no, you can't. <laughs> well, then don't ask the cop, just drive 82 and see what happens. Look, he doesn't pull him over, but I go five miles an hour faster, and all of a sudden, I'm the bad guy. Oh, I went five miles. No, he has a quota. Um, Greg, quit acting like you don't understand what's going on. I don't. <laughs> I don't understand why you guys aren't talking about my mom, who's a spirit, who's probably following me around, but I don't know that she is. I don't have eyes to see, but I think Jesus is inside me. And I've was like, Greg, can you just not talk at church? I'm not saying your questions aren't relevant and so forth. Okay. So I don't talk at church. Um, and you can see why, because I'll talk about those things. I'm, I'm the person even at school. You know, Emily would say, Greg, let other people say some stuff too. 
and I'm on, and because I like my mind's just popping like Elon Musk. Oh, there's a business, and we could dig underground. There's a business. Isn't everybody like this? Elon Musk goes, I realize not everybody's like that, but I am. And so now I'm going to tell you about a parable God gave me to help me manage that energy. And it, and because I can be dominating, I can be like, and he's given me gifts where I can reason in a way that really smart people walk away. <laughs> They're just like, and they walk away because they don't want to lose. Because ENTPs, by the way, you don't want to argue, I'm an ENTP personality, and we're freaks. Um, and, they, and in the Kersey's book about ENTPs, you go, you, you don't want to argue with these guys. Why? Because they'll probably win if it was an intellectual argument. Um, and if they've been focused on that. And so most people don't like the feeling of losing. So they just, yeah, okay, Greg, I think your shoes suck. What does that have to do with anything? Nothing, but you're just a loser. And so they people will revert to junior high things. You know, forget the argument. Do ad hominem attacks. Attack Greg. Don't attack his argument. That's stupid because you're going to lose. Now, that sounds arrogant, Greg. <laughs> I know. Yeah, call him arrogant. And so, and, but you know what he'll do? I am. Oh, he, he, he just wants to continue with the argument. He's okay with saying, yeah, we all are arrogant, oh, which is true. And so here's the parable God gave me um, to talk about, Emily, what you were talking about, and Jonathan, what you were talking about. It's a simple thing. It's, it's called a car helmet. You know, you wear a car helmet. Who wouldn't wear a car helmet? It helps protect you. You're going like, what, 82? Some of you, 87? If you got in a wreck, um, well, you, you're buckled up. Why do you think you're buckled up? You're trying to be safe. And if you're a NASCAR driver, guess what else you got? Come on, guys. You have a helmet. Have you, who else wears a helmet? That's stupid, Greg. Really? Um, it used to be stupid for skiers to wear a helmet. And I'd be a nerd back in 1972 with my skiing helmet. Why do you got that on, Muller? Are you um, an idiot? Uh, you got some, some skull problems? But now, oh, no. That's the smart people on the on the um, on the ski slopes because it's normative. It's socially accepted now, and it in fact you're kind of morally um, suspect if you're not putting on a helmet when you're skiing. You're being reckless, and maybe so too in certain communities. If you don't have helmets on those kids when they drive bikes, are you an idiot? Do you know they could fall off? My parents, I guess, were idiots back, and all parents were idiots back when I grew up, because I don't remember helmets, except for people who um, probably had skull problems or something, um, or falls often, you know, it's just like the special ed kids or something, if you got that helmet, that was rare, all right, if had I put a helmet on, I would have been teased, ha ha, Muller's got a helmet, Muller's an idiot, no, so I kept the helmet off. I wasn't even tempted to put on a helmet. That's stupid. But apparently we are living in an enlightened society where people are thoughtful. So when you ride a bike, well, duh, you're going fast. Bull riders wear helmets. <laughs> they used to not. Um, skiers used to not wear helmets. Now they're wearing them. We're enlightened. Well, Greg, can, can you enlighten us further why we might want to wear uh, a car helmet and have our kids and our grandkids wear helmets? Yeah, 
your car's going fast. Okay, I think I follow. And if you went and talked to an emergency room doctor, we could call him a professional because he sees people who have head injuries. Head injuries, had they been wearing a helmet, they would have not had many times the same kind of trauma. Well, now, Greg, that you've told us and you've kind of convinced us, we're all going out today and we're going to buy helmets. No, you're not. Nobody's going to put on helmet until one thing happens. They pass a law and they say it's going to cost you 100 bucks if you um, don't have a helmet on. Then we will buckle up. Then we will wear a helmet. Or society starts saying, yeah, well, we need to wear a helmet. And so, <laughs> bottom line, I actually had my daughter paint this kind of cartoon um, and it had three people wearing helmets uh, and, and it was called car helmet. And I made magnets, 500 magnets like this, right? And Jesus had no intention of me selling those. No one's interested in wearing the helmet. He just wanted me to invest. So back to Jonathan's investment. Okay, risk your cash because I want you to really get this tattooed on your heart and your head. People want what they want and why they want it they might offer some nice logical reasons why they're doing what they do. And some of it might be reasonable, but others of it, why they don't talk about ghosts in the temple. Well, there are ghosts. Um, uh, why they don't um, have Sunday school teachers say, we're now gonna learn how to connect with our ancestors. I bet you've missed some of them. Okay, here's how we're gonna bring our ancestors into the room. You don't even know what you're talking about, Greg. Um, I do. It's scriptural and so forth. Nonetheless. Um, so shut up, Greg. Okay. Yes. Wait for it. <laughs> like, what do you mean? Oh, in time, society might come to a conclusion. Um, I'm putting helmets on kids. Do you know what the logic might be for that, Greg? Well, the very logic I'm, I'm giving Jonathan and Emily, but apparently not to very good effect because I don't see them saying, Sorry, we're going to have to end this early because I'm going down to Walmart and I guess I'm going to buy a, some, I don't know, bike helmets. They don't have car helmets. I'm, I'm going to insist that my husband, because I love him so much, I don't want him to get hurt when he's driving in the car. And I love my kids, my grandkids so much. <laughs> it's very important that we all wear helmets. Why? Because logic dictates it. Because truth is reason, truth, truth eternal. Oh, we'll do whatever's true. And I'm not sure I know what's true. And it's like, so here, of course, I'm a sociologist. And one of the things I learned from my, uh, my professor, what is, if in time, okay, what is becomes, uh, what is expected? Okay. Oh, hey, you, your kid out there's got a helmet on. He's a little freak. And then you have your neighbor who you like for many different reasons and you want to fit in. They go, oh yeah, kids should wear helmets. Think about it. They're driving fast on that bike. You're right. And I, I know some people that got hurty. Right. Okay. So what is becomes what is expected. Oh, look, that kid's again. Yeah. Here comes Muller. He's wearing a bike helmet. I knew I expected him to becomes what should be. Well, you should probably have one on too, said your neighbor. No, don't you love your kids? Uh-oh, they're starting to use moral reasoning. Um, no, I love my kids, so that's why I have them do the helmet. But you can go ahead and let, let your kids not wear helmets. So people start inserting this very powerful force for humans. 
Well, I love my kids. Yeah. Oh, really? Why do you let them ride the bike? Because I just heard of another person. I think it was in Chicago. The kid fell and killed and he died. <gasps> really? I do love my kid. No, you're going to wear this, Johnny. I, I'm going to look like a freak. They're going to tease me. No, because you're cool. And all the other kids will go, I want a helmet. So what is becomes what is expected becomes what um, what is expected becomes what should be. Okay. So now you got kids all wearing helmets becomes what is right. It becomes a moral imperative. Everybody needs to buckle up and you need to buckle up your kids and you don't. Don't buckle up that kid. You need to have, that's an infant thing. We've done the science. Follow the science. Unless it's Greg dispensing obvious science, then you don't have to do it. And okay, so here's where it all, here's where it all comes together. <laughs> Jesus' message to me, Greg, you can preach all day long. You can have the most powerful logic. You can be so freaking right. You can show them in the scriptures. And if the scripture says, wear car helmets, they ain't going to do it. Really? But these are good people who apparently love truth. Yeah, but Emily and Jonathan are just sitting there going like, I'm not wearing a helmet. Why? Uh, I've got good reasons. It'll, uh, well, like my grandma said, I'm not wearing a seatbelt because it'll wrinkle my dress. And back then the dresses, yes, yeah, see our dresses now, they have um, different uh, fabrics, so it, it doesn't wrinkle. Oh, that's why you wear the seatbelt. <laughs> it's not because you'll get and and so the reasons why they didn't do it fade away but there, there was a reason why your your grandma wasn't wearing a seatbelt. and she said well what if i got in a car wreck and my car's on fire and i couldn't <laughs> unbuckle <laughs> uh, hey it's possible and like okay it just sounds like silly reasoning i'm in a car fire oh no the seat buckle won't open well it always does i know but not this time why did i wear this damn seatbelt oh greg told me to wear the seatbelt and everybody else did i'm gonna die in a fiery flame i just say that's jesus and you're coming home sister and you're the lucky one um okay that was a long story about the car helmet but i share it because he's put other parables like that that's the parable of the car helmet and it's not to remind me to wear a helmet i don't wear a car helmet except for if i want to um, make my wife and kids uncomfortable Take that off, Dad. Um, but um, I don't wear a car helmet because I don't want to. Well, that doesn't seem very reasoned. It's not. But I'm just like everybody else, you know. I should be drinking coffee because everybody's drinking coffee. Well, coffee's good for you. Well, yeah, go ahead and tell me your reasons why you can drink coffee. Um, well, what's your reason? Jesus told me not to. Oh, for Jesus people, that sounds like a very sound reason. <laughs> I know. Everybody else. That's stupid. And plus, you can't hear Jesus. Well, that's what I believe I can. And I'm like, and in fact, Jesus has done one better. I can now with the coffee drinkers, I also drink coffee. What? You just told us you don't drink coffee. Oh, but I do. Really? What kind do you like? Jesus? You drink Jesus coffee? Yeah, mine's very watery. It looks like water. It comes out of the tap, usually cold, but I can heat it up. Well, that's just water, Greg. No, that's, that's uh, Jesus coffee. Really? Do you have Jesus Kool-Aid too? Oh yeah, Jesus Kool-Aid. What does it look like? Water. Um, well, you live in a different world. We all do, people. And so the, 
the, the parable of the helmet is meant to convince a very hard-hearted, a guy who would do what Jonathan's talking about. Okay, man, I got this power. I've got this superpower. It's reasoning power. Jesus, I could be a guru. I can take these thoughts and I can coerce humans. I could, I'll bet I could get them all to wear helmets. And I tried. <laughs> oh, I tried throughout my life. I'd have a good idea and I'd be thwarted by their superpowers. You know what you guys' superpower is? Hey, I don't want to. Crap. You know, I'm thwarted again. I gave you everything. They're like, no, I'm open. I'm, a, I'm an open person. You know, whatever you think, you know, if you can show me truth, if you can show me, Greg, it'd be a good idea to change my life, I'd do it. Now I don't believe you. <laughs> I don't believe you. Why? Because of the car helmet? Oh, yeah. Let's just start with the car helmet. And then I'll just test you. And if you're wearing a car helmet, oh, baby, I'm coming. Because I got so many more things. One of those is body armor. Have you noticed that... Some kids, when they're roller skating, they used to just get skin knees. Now they got body armor. Guess what NASCAR drivers have? So you're telling me if I started wearing the car helmet, you're going to up the ante and you're going to say, Jonathan, I see your helmet. Good. And I see you have all your kids wear helmets. That is good. You're a moral person, way more moral than Emily, who's still some wild child. Oh, kids, you don't have to put a car helmet on. Emily's just out of control. But Jonathan, I need to take you to the next level. <laughs> you need body armor. And they haven't made car body armor yet. No, I've got airbags. You know, let's go talk to a, um, um, the emergency room doctor and he can describe airbags. Um, there's a reason why NASCAR drivers have body armor. Greg, I am so tired of your religious righteousness, Jonathan says. <laughs> In fact, I'm not even going to wear the helmet. We have an apostate, Emily. Jonathan's throwing the helmet out. Yeah, I just can't take any more of your righteous talk, Greg. And so this is a, um, what I'm playfully saying. It's a huge energy in me that Jesus had to manage. It's the righteous mind. And we all suffer from it. <laughs> That's what makes me feel comfortable. That's where our society is. So, oh, look, Jesus, they're doing the thing that I like to do. Let's make everybody wear the mask. Damn it. Can't you guys understand? This keeps all the, and don't ask questions about, well, why do, why are we wearing masks? You, you say I could just put, I don't know, this toilet paper. Don't put toilet paper up. No, you need to have at least a cloth thing. Oh, is that reasoned science? No, Greg, it's just, we got to go along, get along, quit asking questions. And so it's like, wow, I'm in church. I'm in a, there's only two churches, the church of the devil and the church of God. I think I may be in devil church because these people can't answer simple questions. Why, when a surgeon is doing surgery on my body or your body, do they have a different mask? Apparently, we can protect everybody by just taking a sock and putting it on our face. Um, and why, when I go to the restaurant, is it okay to take that off? Well, you got to eat. I know, but I'm breathing. And apparently, I've got viruses that can just float out there. Quit asking questions, Greg. Um, and of course, that's what happened. This righteous mind started, um, uh, we started falling apart and they had to keep changing the goal posts. And, and they did. It's like they said, oh, now that we have you wearing helmets, oh baby, we have a plan for you. And we're like, uh-uh, uh-uh. And in fact, if they tried to do that again, have people wear masks and they did, did that righteous energy, Oh, we've got civil war. That's what I believe on our hands. And they've already set the stage. 
um, with that righteous mind. We know. They should have said, guys, we don't know what this is. We suggest this. There's a whole different spirit to it. But um, that's not the spirit we live in. We live in a society where people are effectively telling us, you have to wear a helmet. I don't want to wear a helmet. Well, you don't have a choice. And so some countries are moving towards that. Um, but that's a parable that helps me manage that energy because I am to preach the gospel to every creature. Oh, Greg's gospel. That's correct. Who are you trying to convince? Nobody but myself. And so that's the thing I wanted to share with you, Jonathan, that segues. This was a long way to get there. I saw your hand. Um, Jesus told me yesterday, he said, do you know why I command my disciples? I'm a, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> why I command my um, disciples to preach the gospel to every creature, knowing full well every creature is not interested in wearing a helmet or whatever. And then he explained to me, he had already kind of talked to me, but he said, it's because it converts them in a deeper way. If they're going around talking of Christ, preaching of Christ, prophesying of Christ, they will self-reinforce. And even if everybody's not wearing the helmet, they'll just talk about how important the helmet is and all that. And Greg, if they don't want to wear the helmet, then just say, that's fine. I understand. And then just wait. I'll make it happen if I want to make it happen. And the same is true with everything that you go street preach, Greg. I, 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 I'm asking you to go preach it with the understanding because you can because he, he he references a scripture few be there that find it what fewer there those who will ever wear a car helmet the, the kind you're talking about okay then why am i preaching about car helmets i'm not <laughs> i can tell you i don't go around telling people how to wear helmets it's a parable to help me understand even the things he does have me share which is jesus loves you jesus is there jesus is found in the mess who are you trying to convince greg Right here, the number one is me. Well, then just keep it to yourself. And God says, that is not the pattern. My, my disciples, the chances of them converting people was so very, very low. Deeply converting, and it still is, of anything. But you know how you, convince, you can convince yourself in a deep way? Get a belief and then go share it with the world. Who's not interested in it? Correct. And so I'm converted, but they're not. No, you can't convert anybody. What did you learn about the helmet? <laughs> yeah, Jesus, you're right. I can show them in the scriptures. It says this. Oh, now I'm convinced, Greg. I'm going to change my life and become a freak like you. No, that ain't going to happen. So he has me go out, preach the gospel to every creature with this expectation. Be surprised if anybody wants to do what you do, like get more Jesus. They already have Jesus. They don't want more Jesus. <laughs> they don't want to wear a helmet, let alone wear body armor. They are fine for now. And when, when Jesus might they be open? And then that's his work. That's his work. Okay, Jonathan, to you. Thank you, uh, Emily, Jonathan, and all you viewers. Like that guy talks a lot. He does have problems. I think he has a righteous mind. Duh, I just told you I do, and God's managing it. Go ahead, Jonathan. Can't hear you. Mike? I was on, sorry. Um, so, uh, so I wonder, I wonder if the solution is just the relationship, right? So it's like, 
a relationship with the unseen world. It's like, I, I can't figure it out, to be honest. It's like, well, what's right? What's good? Be honest, it's, it's hard to say from day to day. I mean, there's things that make sense. You know, like, and I suppose it is important that we have laws. I mean, I'm glad that somebody can't come into my home and cause harm to me or someone I love. That's good, right? I don't know. I don't know how well, it works. And they can. Here's the thing. Hey, guys, if you wanted to get to Jonathan's home, you're going to may have a hard time finding him or something. But um, uh, we're all, and, and we, we like to say, well, I'm glad we have laws that protect us. Do they? You go check out what's happening. Go to L.A. and, and tell yourself that certain neighborhoods, <laughs> you ain't protected. But I agree with Jonathan. So it's kind of like a scale, a continuum that for a while we are safe. So, for instance, we're we're safe from all that biblical stuff. You're perfectly safe. I don't think you have to flee Babylon. You can just keep doing the culture. You're safe. You're safe in this culture for now. Well, that sounded om an ominous for now. <laughs> well, read the scriptures or what the and but the most important thing, Jonathan, and this is what Jesus is teaching me. I'm talking to them all. You don't have to convince them of a helmet. I'm doing that. If if I want a person to wear a helmet or go to church. Um, they're, they're not resisting you, Greg. They're resisting me because Jesus says that to his apostles. They're not saying no to you. They're saying no to me. I ask you to go out and tell people, be nice, be kind, love your enemies, pray for President Biden. Do you think Greg's the originator of the idea to love your enemies and very specifically President Biden um, and say, stop being happy that um, Hunter Biden's finally being found out. Instead, pray for him, be sad for what a sad family that is, and pray for them. Well, I'm not there yet, Greg. Okay, then don't do it. <laughs> um, but that's, that's still small voice inside you. Pretty sure that's what you're hearing. And I am, but I don't know. It's a belief. I'm comfortable saying everything I do is a belief. Um, so anyhow, that's, that's Jonathan. That's how I resolve it. It's like it's resolved in Christ um, because he is there, That's at least for me, and that people do um what they do good things when they surrender to that voice and maybe they don't need my voice and i'd say well then the only, re only reason i'm doing this is to convince myself pretty much pretty much so emily did you have something oh uh, it's more it seemed like you were in the middle of a thought jonathan were you in the middle of a thought like and so okay. just that um, like you finished um, uh, just, I wonder if that's why we're doing the program, I guess. It's like, we're all just kind of, um, the three of us are kind of adrift a little bit in a sense. It's like, it, it's difficult to, when you don't fit right into the middle groove and you can't just look and say that everything that your society, your institution, whatever it is, is exactly resonates with what you see as true and um that can be a difficult circumstance and probably if anybody's still watching any of these episodes they kind of resonate with um that strange that place of um well like i kind of i think i've resolved myself to the fact that it's like most of the people that i'm able to connect with are kind of a little bit on the fringe because well, I can't, and there's something off, and um, 
So that means, and this is, I guess, the end of my thought. What that means is that we are in the wilderness. So it's probably obvious to anybody watching that those of us doing this program are in our own kind of wilderness. So you're in the wilderness. It's not the same as when you have a, a land that's your own where you can till the ground. It's like, it's like we have to survive on our own kinds of men. And uh, it's like Greg and I have had instances, you know, economically we, we've had to do that. Emily, you know, it's been more religiously because of what's happened in her family. And, and it's like, um, but that's a beautiful place. And I guess that's what I'm coming to is that it's like, it's a beautiful place to be in the wilderness um, and be turning directly, not to, not to the, to the norm, but to, to seek for answers from the unseen place. Um, anyway, did you have any comments about that Emily or thoughts, or I know we're getting close to time, but I'll turn yeah. it I just wanted to kind of wrap it all up. That's kind of what I was thinking. Um, I keep thinking about this idea of Carl, and I'm trying to understand the parable. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to get it. But one of the things that it reminds me of, and, and when you were talking about, you know, when seat belts first came out, you know, or bike helmets first came out, nobody would wear them. And only like, like for me, I remember growing up with the bike stuff too, like my neighbor. It was only my neighbors who were like nurses and stuff. That and like worked in the ER that like their kids would wear helmets and everyone else was like yeah you know and uh but what it reminds me of is I just think about there's things that we do or say that everyone else might think is strange um and they don't want to accept or they don't want to believe and that's okay they don't have to but um sometimes those things become more of the norm later I guess it's kind of what I'm gathering from the parable of the car helmet like Everything we say or do, sometimes we do it just because everyone else is doing it. Sometimes we do stuff um, like we're just trying to fit in with society. Sometimes we purposely do things not to fit in with society. Like Greg, I would say sometimes I feel like you do things just for like a stock value. Like you do it to just purposely not fit in. And so there's like another way of, of going about it, you know, and it's, and it's okay to do things um, different ways for different reasons. I guess yeah. what I'm saying with all of this is it's just important to be open, yeah, be open true. to the unknown and to the things that maybe sound weird and crazy. Maybe once you learn more, they're not so weird and crazy to you, you know, or maybe they still are. And that's also okay. You know, it's not, there's not like, I don't think there's a point of knowledge. Like we've started this episode talking about knowledge. I don't think there's a point of knowledge where it's like you've achieved it. You have the perfect knowledge. I mean, there is the scripture that says you, you advance and advance until you come to a perfect knowledge, but I don't think that perfect knowledge happens in a lifetime. I really don't. Um, you know, you just keep growing and you just keep learning if you want to. Um, and I think that's all comes down to the agency. And it's like, if you want to, if you don't want to learn anything, you're not going to learn anything. If you're not open to it, you're not going to be open to it. If you're trying to constantly disprove that Jesus exists, then you're going to find proof that he doesn't exist. If that's what you're looking for. I think you always find what you're looking for, um, you know, and it's just kind of like your, your thing. And for me, looking for Jesus and looking for his miracles, like I said before, that brings me peace. That brings me comfort. But I have to, but then again, again, if I don't look for it, I don't find it. If I don't take the time with my children to be like, hey, that was a miracle. Let's recognize it. Let's thank God for that miracle. You know, let's, 
that God for our lives, that we are able to do these things and, and have a good time and have these, these different freedoms and things that we can enjoy. If we don't take time to do that, then we won't recognize. Oh, that makes sense. But that's kind of where I was kind of thinking, wrapping it up. Yeah. Your, your thoughts are very wise. Um, and, and your observations wise too, um, because um, Jesus had to show me when I got born again, he says, Greg, I born you a spaz. Now I need you to be a super spaz. And I knew what he was talking about. He's like, because I'm always like contrarian and so forth. Yeah, rule breaker. It's like I was born punk rock. Um, but I didn't know that. I just thought, well, I'm doing this just to get attention and so forth. And like, yeah. And I'm like, um, uh, is that okay? Well, he showed me a vision and he did it using a actually, I won't go to the story. But that's who I was born. I know that. And I could I could demonstrate it with data um, if I could go find the cassette tape. But like, see, that was me at five years old. <laughs> and my parents did not train me to be that. But I got to listen to that tape. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus. You showed me I was born this way. And he was just making me comfortable with like, yeah, this is how you're going to roll throughout your, your day. And then um, so when you were talking, Emily, I just smiled. Um, and it was so funny. Because I thought, see, Emily's carved out a little piece of my world. Um, and we, we watch it every week, okay? Because <clears throat> I'm, I'm in an artist town. So I got Doug Fryer, Mike Workman. I got these artists that that's, that's what they make their living. And they keep their art in kind of a box where it'll actually sell, right? And, and the people will show it in galleries. If they started trying to do your art, then... Um, that it was not the thing yet, although I think your thing actually is is going to be a thing. That's why I'm like, oh, this is cool. She's painting Jesus with her fingers and with a toothbrush. Uh, these guys, when I went and talked to them about their art, I said, what kind of materials does my wife need? They didn't mention toothbrush. They didn't mention fingers. I'm like, is Emily like me and she's just trying to put it to the man? No. And Yes. Um, cause my mind's like, yes and no, but, um, she's not doing it intentionally, but the man exists inside of us. Um, you, you think we're interacting, um, with others, not at the level we, um, we're, in, we're interacting with principalities, rulers of darkness in high places. What high places might those be? The war is inside the chambers of our own soul. That's the, the, the big happenings. The consequential happenings are in your skin. And so people might think, oh, Greg's trying to do this with us, or Greg's trying to do that with us. Well, that would be true, but also not a full understanding. Greg's wrestling with things that God put inside of him, and God's trying to do this so Greg will still believe in God, but God wants this creature on the earth that acts like a spaz, and not everybody's called to that. Everybody's like, oh, I'm so glad that I live in a world where there's not... 500 dregs out of every thousand i just could not live in that world and i'm glad everybody doesn't paint with their fingers i would i, I couldn't get good art what i call good art what science has shown is good art but emily you're painting one of the reasons that delights me i'm like there's my soul down there there's my soul down there it's a representation like she's breaking rules Oh, I have so much in common. And she's doing it for a purpose. And she told me her purpose. She told me her born again experience. 
how how she came about that. And guess who she's painting? The the one I resolved in. You know, before maybe she was painting refrigerators or whatever, but she gravitated Jesus, didn't she? Jesus, our only joy be thou. Our at least when she's doing this mode, it's like the only thing I'm going to be painting <laughs> is Jesus in this mess. And so that's, anyways, that's partly why I was laughing, but, I, but your, your comments are insightful. So I, I wouldn't view these comments. I'd go back to, if you're going to review anything, Emily's comments, because she was hitting the nail, but I wanted to add that so that Emily would see the, um, the bigger piece of my pie. Yeah, I might do this in a wide range, but to myself, I'm like, I'm just doing what you're doing, Emily, for a similar purpose. Um, and I'm finding similar results. I don't know. It just works for me. I'm not asking my family, hey, worship God like I do. <laughs> nope. That would be a too big of an ask. Wear a helmet. No, not asking anybody to do that. Um, but here's, why, here, here's how I roll, and I'm not going to hide it. All right? And so Emily puts herself out there. She's asked galleries to um, feature her art. And she says, oh, and by the way, they need to be able to write on the back of my art. And then she's been denied because they're like, no, we can't have you doing that. Why? <laughs> and they don't, they probably didn't tell her, but it's kind of obvious. People start writing on art. They'll go, oh, I'm going to write on the back of this one too. Well, you did not get permission to write on the back of this. Emily started a naughty thing. And like, did she? Yeah. Or maybe they actually did tell me that. Oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah, the Springville Art Museum for one of my big paintings for one of their big. I wanted to have. That's where I originally wanted to do my interactive stuff. I love your like, story. And then they were like, "Oh, if we were going to let you do it, then they think they could do it on every piece of art. Yeah, and then it would be everything." And I was like, yeah, "They wouldn't. People get it." <laughs> oh, yeah. I love that story because it's so entangled with the world's response to me. Well, if you do this, Greg, then everybody's gonna say, there's ghosts in the temple. There's real ghosts. You know, I know you guys like ghost movies, but there's ghosts. You gotta go to the temple. You gotta get your recommend and you can hang out with the ghosts. And I can show them logically why that's true. Um, but Greg, don't, don't, don't talk at church because you're gonna have a bunch of kids who are all excited. I get to go see the ghost. We're gonna go see the ghost. You're changing the freaking language. And so it's like Emily going in there, the deviant. Hey, I got an idea. Um, next thing she's going to do is smash my art. <laughs> and they, um, where does this go? It's a slippery slope, Emily. And then I want to smash everybody's art. And all of a sudden we're in France and people don't just um, get mad at the orchestra. They come down and they say, Bach, I'm going to smash you. Uh, and these people would get all freaky. Um, I learned from my history the little bit i have like who freaks out well that's mosh pits but yeah um these people would get all uppity because you you introduced a new style of music and you're freaking out but they knew an underlying thing is the world's changing we need to hold the world together because box just changed something oh hold on and they would have riots in the in the opera house and we're just like <laughs> guys that's stupid is it? Go ahead, Jonathan. I'm done with that. That's the end of mine. Well, I just um, had something before, kind of, but I, I was just noticing we probably better go. Oh, uh, good. Yep. Thank you for staying on, um, and I will see you guys soon um, again. And uh, let's see. Let's turn off this. Uh, bum, 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 bum. Yep.